Welcome to the Let Christy Take It podcast. Let Christy Take It would like to thank our sponsors, Irish Woodcraft. Check them out on Instagram and irishwoodcraft.ie for all your guaranteed Irish bespoke furniture needs. On this week's episode, we are joined by Billy Steinberg. Billy is an American songwriter who in 2011 was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Billy has had number one hits in the USA with songs from artists such as Cindy Loper, Madonna, Whitney Houston, The Bangles and Heart. Billy co-wrote other well-known top 10 hits from The Pretenders, Carrie Underwood, The Divinals, Linda Ronstadt, Roy Orbison and Celine Dion. We discussed the creative process of writing the hits and find out if Quentin Tarantino was correct with the metaphor for Like a Virgin in Reservoir Dogs. Let Christy Take It are proud to bring you Billy Steinberg. Billy Steinberg, welcome to Let Christy Take It podcast. It's our pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you, gentlemen. So I'm going to take you right back, Billy. Can you tell us what life was like for a young Billy Steinberg? Well, I grew up in the desert in a resort town called Palm Springs, California. And I had two great loves as a child. One of them was music. And one of them was baseball. And I wanted to be a major league baseball player. I could imagine that. I couldn't imagine a career in the music business because I didn't know anyone in the music business, really. Uh, I had a great record collection starting from the age of seven. I loved the Everly Brothers and Chuck Berry and so many of those great artist, Buddy Holly, and uh, those were my two loves as a kid. When I got into high school, the Beatles came out, and uh, I knew some guys who were good musicians, and they had what they what you'd call a surf band. Uh, if you know what a surf band is, it's like an instrumental band playing songs like Wipeout or Pipeline or Miserloo. Quentin like, songs Quentin Tarantino at doors. That's right. So they had a band like that. And then the Beatles came out and they realized they should get a vocalist. So the, the keyboard player knew that I had a good record collection. And he just asked me if I'd like to be the singer in the band. And I said, yeah, I would like to be. And the band was called The Fables. That was my first foray into the music world was to be the lead singer in a 60s rock band called The Fables. And Billy, how long did that band last, your first band? Was it your only band? Was there other bands in between? Oh, yeah, a lot of bands, but that was the first one. We lasted two years. We, We mostly covered songs by the Rolling Stones and the Kinks and the Beatles, the Animals, that sort of thing. Billy, I read that some of your early songwriting evolved from your writing poetry in college. 
Can you tell us how you decided to put your prose to lyrics? When I was in my early rock bands, I was the singer and we covered songs. We didn't write our own songs. And my grandmother gave me a Gibson acoustic guitar and I started learning some chords. But I had always written poetry and I had notebooks with poems in it. And then when I went off to college, I went from growing up in California, I went to a college called Bard, B-A-R-D, Bard College in upstate New York. And at this college, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a band to be in. So I started to look through my poetry books, picked up my Gibson guitar, and I started to sing one of the poems. And that was a real revelation for me. That was the light bulb moment in my life where I realized, hey, I'm a songwriter. I can write songs. And you're always, at that age, you're always interested in impressing the girls. And if I showed a girl a poem I'd written, they might politely look at it or not. But if a girl came into my dormitory room and I said, would you like to hear a song that I wrote? they would look at me with these big eyes. And so I realized that this is it for me, man. Billy, the first big hit you had with one of your songs was uh, How Do I Make You, which was recorded by Linda Ronstant. She ended up having a top 10 hit with it. How did that connection come about? Well, in the late 1970s, I was in a rock band called Billy Thermal. Billy, of course, is my name, and Thermal was the small town where my father ran his business, which was a farming business. So I had the band Billy Thermal and uh, we were playing in clubs in Los Angeles. Uh, There was a lot of, at that time, it was called New Wave. And that was like the Talking Heads, Elvis Costello, the Cars, the Knack, Blondie. So I had this band and we were doing new wave, I would call it um, pop rock, you know, and we made some demos and we were playing these clubs and I was getting some pretty good reactions, you know, like uh, the great producer, Richard Perry, was interested in signing my band and uh, the guitar player in my band, a guy named Craig Hull, he and his girlfriend, Wendy Waldman, they knew Linda Ronstadt because Wendy sang background vocals for Linda Ronstadt. So without telling me, Wendy and Craig played my Billy Thermal song demos for Linda Ronstadt. And she fell in love with the song, How Do I Make You? and wanted to record it. Not only did she record it, but 
it became the first single from her album called Mad Love. And it went top 10 in the United States. And it gave me instant credibility as a songwriter. And, and did that kind of, the, su- the success of How Do I Make You, did that kind of cement you as the go-to guy for that time period? Well, I don't think it, the success of How Do I Make You made me the go-to guy, but it made me a go-to guy. It certainly, uh, because of it, I then got two songs recorded by Pat Benatar and um, my band broke up and I really started to realize that I had the potential to be an A-plus songwriter, but I would never be an A-plus singer or performer. So I shifted my focus to being a songwriter. I had got some nice, juicy checks for the royalties from the Pat Benatar records and the Linda Ronstadt record. And I thought, yeah, that's me. I'm going to make my living as a songwriter getting songs cut. Close your eyes, give me your hand. Do you feel my heart beating? Do you understand? Do you You had success, as you said, you were having success with your own songs. What made you partner up with Tom Kelly? Well, um, as I was analyzing this concept of being a songwriter, I realized, okay, I've had one song cut by Linda Ronstadt. It was a single. The two Pat Benatar songs were prominent album cuts, but they were not singles. And I started to realize maybe I should try collaborating as a means of, you know, being more commercially successful more frequently. So in the summer of 1981, I rented a house in Pacific Palisades, California, which is in Los Angeles. And I got in touch with the gentleman who had produced one of the Pat Benatar songs that I had written. And it was a song called I'm Gonna Follow You. And his name was Keith Olson. Now, Keith had a history of being a great matchmaker because Keith had produced the first Fleetwood Mac album that featured Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. And Keith had produced the Buckingham Nicks solo record. So when he was invited to produce Fleetwood Mac, he introduced Stevie and Lindsay to Mick Fleetwood, and John and Christine McVie. So as you know, he had a home run with that yeah. one. And so I had never met Keith. He, he had produced my song, but I had never met him in person. I had presented my song to A&R person at Chrysalis Records. And that's how it had gotten to Pat Benatar. So I called Keith I called Keith on the telephone, having got his number from Chrysalis, and uh, 
I said, Keith, this is Billy Steinberg. I'm a songwriter. And he goes, Billy, you're one of my favorite songwriters. And I said, wow, that's beautiful. And he, I said, I'd love to meet you. And he said, I've just moved into a new house. Coincidentally, his new house was in Pacific Palisades where I was renting. He said, I'm having a housewarming party at my new house. Would you like to come? And I said, absolutely. So I went to that party with my acoustic guitar. And at the party, it was full of people from the music business. There were artists, there were producers, there were musicians, there were songwriters. And I met a guy named Tom Kelly. And just randomly, I said, would you like to try to write a song together? And he was a little bit more of a music business savvy person than I was. And he sort of did a little research. And when he found out <clears throat> that I had written the Linda Ronstadt single, which he liked, he agreed to write with me. So that was, I think, August of 1981. And Billy, how was that process from writing alone then working with somebody? Is it an easy transition? Well, there's no simple answer to that question. I think that the reason one collaborates is you're hoping to find in someone else the ability to do really well what you don't do really well yourself. Now, at the time, I really wasn't a fair judge of my skill levels. I had written chords, I had played the guitar, I had written melodies, and I had written lyrics, and I hadn't stood back and evaluated, well, what do I do best? And where do I need help? I really never took that, you know, took a gauge of that. So when I met Tom, I went to his house and he, we were talking, well, let's try to write a song together. What do you do? What do I do? And he started to play the guitar and play the piano. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, wow, this guy is a really gifted musician. And he started to sing. And I thought, wow, this guy's got an amazing singing voice. And he said, oh, man, I, I hate writing lyrics. And I said, well, it just so happens that I love writing lyrics. I've got notebooks and diaries full of lyrics. So we found that even though he was from Indiana, and I was from California, that we really had grown up loving the same music. He loved Smokey Robinson. I loved Smokey Robinson. He loved Roy Orbison. I loved Roy Orbison. Even an obscure artist, relatively obscure, like Laura Nero. We both loved Laura Nero. And of course, we both loved the Beatles. I was into Dylan. He wasn't so much. He was a really big Beach Boys, Brian Wilson fan. I wasn't quite as big a fan of them at that time as he was. But we found that we just made a great team.
a great team you did make and you went on to write one of the biggest songs of the 80s like a virgin can i ask you was that written especially for madonna or did you write it and was it was it shipped out around to see who who would fit because madonna was relatively madonna was relatively unknown at the time and how did it feel having that massive hit well we we did not write the song like a virgin with madonna in mind in fact we wrote it before she had ever released a record i think i in me personal life as you use would say, <laughs> as Usens would say. That's a good one, Billy. Pick up a bit of carp there. <laughs> um, in my personal life, I had been in a rather difficult relationship. And I had managed at long last to extricate myself from that difficult relationship. And I had met someone new. And I was very excited about this new relationship and full of love and happiness. And so I was in a red Ford pickup truck in my father's vineyard, and I started to write. I made it through the wilderness. Somehow I made it through. I didn't know how lost I was until I found you. I was beat, incomplete. I'd been had. I was sad and blue. But you made me feel shiny and new, like a virgin. I wrote those lines out, and I thought, I knew immediately, this is a unique concept. I felt, I just had this gut feeling that it had the potential to be an important song for the right artist. And I took that lyric to Tom Kelly the next time we were scheduled to meet. And I don't know whether you want the short story or the long story of how we wrote the song. No, give us whatever you want, Billy. We're we're fine. So Tom and I, by this time, because we wrote Like a Virgin in 1983, and we had met in 1981. So we knew each other very well. And he knew what I had been going through. And he knew about my new relationship. So he, he read the lyrics with that knowledge. And he just was channeling the concept of I made it through the wilderness. Somehow I made it through. And he felt that it was a serious song. And he started to sing it in sort of a uh, tender, sensitive way. But as soon as it got to the title, it seemed ridiculous because the title is kind of sexy and um, risque. So I kept saying, no, 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 you're, 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 you're approaching the, the lyric all wrong. And out of frustration, he started to play a bass line with his left hand. And it was a bass line that was very much like the bass line from Billie Jean or the bass line from I Can't Help Myself by the Four Tops. And he started to sing in a falsetto voice the melody to Like a Virgin. And I said, that's it. And he went, what? He just thought he was goofing, you know? But I just said, that's it. That's it right there. And had a little cassette recorder and I recorded what he was doing. And and then we polished it up. And that's how the song got written. And it's pretty much as you describe it there, the way Madonna released it. Well, her, if you were to hear our demo, maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. It's identical to her version. They copied every nuance of our demo. And Billy, I have to ask you, I presume you've seen Reservoir Dogs. I have seen. 
when when they're discussing like a virgin. So obviously it's not written about a girl who's very experienced in sex feeling like a virgin for meeting a guy. Did you have this conversation with Tarantino ever? Well, you know, funny you should ask that question because at the time I didn't know Quentin Tarantino and I I was uh, flattered that he chose to start off his movie discussing a song that I had written. However, I was I wished that he had used the song in the movie because then I would have gotten a fee. You don't get paid when someone's just talking about your song. I think his budget was very, very low for that movie. Yeah. But I, I ran into him a few years after that. I ran into him at a restaurant in Santa Monica. And I went up to him and I tapped him on the shoulder and he turned to me and I said, uh, Quentin, I'm Billy Steinberg. And he looked at me with a blank look and I said, I wrote like a virgin. And he goes, oh, did you hear it in my did you hear it in my movie Reservoir Dogs? And I said, yeah, I did. Uh, and so we became acquainted. And uh, I don't know, I went to his house and we sort of struck up a friendship. That's a great scene. Uh, how did it feel having a smash worldwide hit? Well, the song Like a Virgin as recorded by Madonna, really changed my life. Because before that, you know, I'd had the hit with Linda Ronstadt, but that was, I would call that a modest hit, you know? It was top 10, but how many people remember it today? I would say maybe people who know 80s music extremely well, but I don't think any anybody young would know the song, How Do I Make You? But Like a Virgin, you know, everybody knows that song. It became Madonna's signature song. And even though she probably wishes a song that she had written was her signature song, but it changed my life and the life of Tom Kelly because, you know, we made a significant amount of money from Like a Virgin. And it also gave us, as you said earlier, the go-to guys. And what was your yourself and Tom's process for writing songs? I mean, like, I know you did the... The lyrics and he did the music and but how did it come together well actually i would always write the lyrics first you might say that's a rarity but it was something like you know a little bit like the bernie top and elton john style although they they never sat together to write songs it's my understanding is that bernie's poems or lyrics would be delivered to elton and he would write to those lyrics when he was in the mood. But Tom and I always wrote songs together and in the same room. And I would say that it would always start with a lyric that I had written and he would play the chords. He would come up with the chords on either the guitar or the piano. And we would work together to craft the melody. I would say Tom was responsible for more of the melodies than I was, but I would I would participate. I would make suggestions. I would sometimes uh, insert little melodic ideas. But Tom had a superior melodic gift. Okay. 
Billy, the 80s were an amazingly successful time for yourself and Tom. With songs such as True Colours, which was recorded by Cindy Lauper, Eternal Flame, or another worldwide number one for the Bangles. And I know you mentioned that uh, Like a Virgin wasn't specifically written for Madonna, but of the songs that you had written, were you writing with particular artists in mind? You know, I keep track of the income of my songs. And I'll tell you the top five or six. The first one is True Colors. The second one is Like a Virgin. The third one is Eternal Flame. The fourth one is Alone. That was a big hit for Heart, Alone. And the fifth one is probably uh, I'll Stand By You. Pretenders, Chrissy Hind. Tom and I wrote with Chrissy Hind. Other than the song Eternal Flame, which we wrote with Susanna Hoffs, and Chrissy Hind, I'll Stand By You, the other songs were not written with artists in mind. We just, Tom and I simply wrote those songs as if we were writing for our own record, just trying to have a good time. Uh, You know, we wrote the song I Drove All Night and we were just channeling Roy Orbison because we loved Roy Orbison. Let me ask you in a different way then. You mentioned Hart had the the mass savage hit alone. Mm -hmm. You also wrote So Emotional for Whitney Houston. So of the songs then that you were writing, if not written for artists, will you then maybe have the opportunity to select artists to record songs? Or was that just done solely by the record company? Well, I wish that we had the opportunity to select artists to record them. But, you know, you really felt, I don't know, I shouldn't say, shouldn't speak for anyone but myself. But I always felt a certain kind of desperation. I wanted someone to record the song. And even with the degree of success I was having, there was no guarantee, having written True Colors, that anyone would record it. Um, It was purely luck that it fell into Cindy Lauper's hands and that it was recorded by her instead of somebody like let's say Kim Carnes, who was, she sang Betty Davis Eyes. Let's say she was looking for songs and Cindy Lauper was looking for songs. We might've sent it to both of them. And it was just, it wasn't our brilliance that Cindy Lauper recorded. It was just our good fortune. It's a fantastic it, version, isn't it? I can't imagine anybody else yeah. doing the definitive version of, True colors other than Cindy Lauper. Billy, some songwriters take months to finish lyrics, even years. Uh, for the very few, it comes really easy. Which camp do you fall into? I mostly write lyrics very quickly. I just find that in my personal life, I might be a bit, you might say, repressed. I'm not a person who expresses anger very easily. I would tend to repress certain feelings and, you know, people would think, oh, you're such a mellow guy, but there might be a lot of things churning inside me that I don't really have access to. So all those emotions would tend to pour out on the page into song lyrics, like I described to you, writing the lyrics for Like a Virgin and how it was a result of something in my personal life. So rather than feel these feelings, I would write the feelings. And that's how 
I think that's why some of my song lyrics have some depth to them, because they would be like dream content. It would be like from the unconscious mind, and it would have credibility, and it would have truth in it, because it wasn't something I was dreaming up, just, oh, what's, what, 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 what might be a good provocative hit title? Like a Virgin. No, it, 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 it came out of, you made me feel shiny and new like a virgin. It was sequential. Maybe I should have called you first, but I was dying to get to you. I was dreaming while I drove the long straight road ahead. Uh-huh, yeah. Could taste your sweet kisses, your arms open wide. This fever for you and just burning me up Billy, is there any acts you've worked with, amazing acts, was there anybody out there who you'd say, God, I'd love them to record one of my songs, or I would love them to record one of my songs? I love Rihanna's voice, and I would love to write a hit pop song for Rihanna. I've tried getting songs to her, and I haven't succeeded. I think in this day and age, it's more about being on a team, you know? And I've never really been on her team, so I haven't I haven't infiltrated that yet. Uh, Billy, uh, the majority or a lot of your songs have been recorded by women, and some of your lyrics are written from the viewpoint of a woman, such as uh, I Touch Myself, which is a hit for the Divinals. Do you find it easy writing from a woman's perspective? I don't write from a woman's perspective. You said something which was false, and that was, that I Touched Myself was written from a woman's perspective. It wasn't. It was written from my perspective. Brilliant. I, you know, just like I did with Like a Virgin, I remember I had a notebook and I started writing. I, I love myself. I want you to love me. When I feel down, I want you above me. I search myself. I want you to find me. I forget myself. I want you to remind me. I don't want anybody else when I think about you. I touch myself. I was playing with words there. And I think the verse is rather poetic. And then I think the title is obviously provocative. And yes, it probably worked better from a female singer. But I never really conceived it that way. I just wrote it. I just simply wrote it. I want to just, you mentioned I Drove All Night, and I, I want to go back to that song. Because, as you mentioned, that song is one of your biggest money earners. And some amazing covers have been done of that song. Roy Orbison, Cindy Lauper again, and Celine Dion. Is it hard when you hear such really good renditions of the same song to kind of pick out which one is your favorite? Well, you know, I don't have any other songs Maybe True Colors, maybe True Colors and I Drove All Night are the ones with the most prominent covers, you know. But when you're talking about I Drove All Night, the first person to record it was Roy Orbison. The first artist to release I Drove All Night was Cindy Lauper. Because when Tom and I recorded Roy Orbison's vocals for I Drove All Night, Roy Orbison didn't have a recording contract. Wow, that's incredible. That's un- was, that is just unbelievable. Yeah. He was an artist, considered an oldies act, 
playing little supper clubs around the country and no recording contract. So even though we had his vocal on, I drove all night. We really, we weren't, we didn't own a record company. We couldn't release it. And then we had the hit with Cindy Lauper on True Colors. And it gave us an, a relationship with Cindy. And then we played her, I drove all night. Now, when we played Cindy, I drove all night. We played her the demo with Tom Kelly singing it. We didn't play her the demo with Roy Orbison singing it. Why not, Billy? She might have become suspicious. Like, okay. Hey. Uh, <laughs> so uh, she recorded it and it became a hit for Cindy. And then after Roy Orbison passed away, he had had a comeback with the help of his good friends, Bob Dylan, Jeff Lynne, George Harrison, Tom Petty, and Virgin Records. And coincidentally, our song, I Touch Myself, had been a hit for the Divinals in America on Virgin Records. So we knew the A&R people at Virgin Records, and I called a fellow there, and I said, are, are you aware that Roy Orbison recorded a version of I Drove All Night? And he said, no, but I'd love to hear it. We're trying to get enough material together to release uh, a final record on Roy. And I sent him I Drove All Night. And he flipped for it and he said, God, can you get me those tapes? And we had, strangely enough, Tom and I had recorded Roy's vocal on a 16-track tape. And we gave those tape, we gave that tape to uh, Virgin Records, and they handed it off to Jeff Lynn. And he produced a new musical track around the vocals that were recorded in Tom Kelly's living room. And then I also agree, I think, since Celine Dion did a phenomenal version of the song. So I, I wouldn't really be able to pick a favorite. If I had to pick a favorite, it would be hard not to pick Roy Orbison because, as I said earlier, he was a childhood hero. Billy, I just want to take you back again a little bit to the early days of the poetry. Did any of those early prose ever end up as a, a song that got released? No, my early poems that I wrote as a teenager and in my early 20s, they helped me launch myself as a songwriter. But none of them became hits, really. No. In the late 1970s, when I had the band Billy Thermal, That's when I wrote the words for How Do I Make You? And it wasn't till after I met Tom Kelly that I wrote the words for Alone and Like a Virgin. The song Alone was actually written before the song Like a Virgin, even though it was released uh, much later. I know you said you couldn't pick a favorite song, but I am going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to pick a favorite. A Grammy Award or the Songwriter Hall of Fame Award? Which one means most to you? Oh, the Songwriter Hall of Fame, definitely. Right. I think getting a Grammy is very random, you know? Some of the greatest recordings ever made didn't even get nominated for Grammys. And some very unimportant songs 
won Grammys. But I think there's a lot more thought goes into picking somebody, nominating somebody and electing somebody to the Songwriters Hall of Fame. So that's far and away a more important uh, honor to me than, than the Grammy. And Billy, you've collaborated with a lot of other songwriters. Is the process different every time with different people? The process with writing with different people is always different because everybody has a different skill set. I've, I've had hit songs with Josh Alexander and I've had hit songs with Rick Knowles, but it would be hard to dispute that the biggest hits were written with Tom Kelly. And Billy, all your songs, they mean so much things to so many people and like different things to different people as well. You know, could have been there the birth of a child, a wedding song. How does that sit with you? You know, it, it really enriches my life that people love songs like I'll Stand By You and True Colors because they're not love songs and they're not sexy songs, but they're more humanitarian songs. Those songs get, you know, they really affect people. And when I hear that and I see that, it makes me feel so good. It's really a wonderful feeling. We've had such a long career and worked with some of the biggest names in show business. Will we ever get to see a book from Billy Steinberg? Well, you know, I actually have written a book, but I don't have it for sale. <laughs> I just wrote it and I've given it to uh, friends and family. But if you will email me your addresses, I'll send copies of it. Don't don't forget, because I'd love to send it to you. Oh, we'd love that. Brilliant. And you know what? You know what comes along with the book? You're going to love this. A digital download card that contains 113 song demos, demos to all the hits. Billy, you're an absolute gentleman. We know that you have an Irish connection in regards to your song, right? You wrote Crossing the River with the Devlins for the Batman and Robin soundtrack, I think. But you do have a family Irish connection. Tell us yeah. about your Irish connection. Well, um, in the year 1989, I was at a Sotheby's auction in New York City. I was introduced to a fellow by the name of Patty McKillen, and I think he's pretty well known in Dublin. He's probably, there's two of them that are pretty well known. There's Patty Jr. and his son. Well, there's a Patty Sr., my father-in-law, and then there's Patty, my brother-in-law, and then there's Patty, my nephew. And the nephew, you know, he has the Dean Hotel and he has the Workman's Bar and his restaurants and bars and hotels all over Dublin. He's become quite successful. Then my brother-in-law, Patty, he, he's been involved with Claridge's Hotel and with Chateau Lacoste in France. And my father-in-law, Patty Sr., he's still alive and lives in France. And he, uh, you know, he was uh, from Belfast. The McKillen family was originally from Belfast. And my father-in-law, 
he started a company called DC Exhaust, I believe. And that was based in Belfast. And, you know, it's one of these magical stories where my father-in-law, his own father was an unemployed Catholic living in Belfast. He couldn't get a job. And, you know, it's very, very poignant. You know, he was up there. He was on the dole, could barely feed his children after his own wife died. So to see that in a couple generations turn into a sort of a dynasty is a beautiful story. And I've witnessed that just through my my wife and her family. You know, there was nine, nine children in that original family. Sounds like a, a, the writings of an Irish ballad, Billy. Well, I love I love Irish ballads. You know, I love the song Carrick Fergus. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. I like I like to hear it sung by Van Morrison and the Chieftains. Yeah. That's that's one of my favorite recordings. What's next for Billy Steinberg? Well, in terms of the music business, I have some new songs that I think are potential hits, but time will tell if they are or if they are not. I've written I've written a lot of songs and I'm 72 years old, so I my level of ambition isn't what it once was. I recently cut a new version of Alone with the singer Jojo. Jojo, you may know, had a hit with a song that I wrote with an Irish lass, Ruth Ann Cunningham, and my other partner, Josh Alexander. So that song, uh, Too Little Too Late, but Jojo sang Too Little Too Late, and Jojo and I got together recently and cut a new version of Alone. So I'm kind of hoping to get that out in the marketplace and hope it'll be a hit. I have a son, Ezra McKillen Steinberg, and he's 25 years old and he's writing songs. So I guess I would be even happier to have him have a hit than for me to have another hit. I'd love to see him have success. Brilliant. Superstar. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Billy, before we let you go, we have this question that we ask all our guests. It's last orders at the bar. You're in Dublin. It's last orders at a bar. You have one euro in your pocket. There's a jukebox in the corner. What's the last song Billy Steinberg ever wants to hear? The last song as as a living being or the last song of the night? That is your interpretation of the question. We leave it up to you. Well, I'll go along with your uh, scenario. It's the last song of the night at a bar in Dublin. I'm going to hear the star of the county down with Van Morrison and the Chieftains. Good man, Billy. That's what we play it on. Billy Steinberg, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for giving up your time for coming on. We've loved it. Yeah, so for myself, Kieran, and our editor, Mark, Billy, it's an absolute honour. I really, really mean it. You've been rich down in the county down one morning last July. From a boring green came a sweet Colleen and she smiled and she passed me by. She looked so sweet from her two bare feet to the sheen of her nut brown hair. Such a coaxing elf, sure I shook myself for to see I was really there. From Bantry Bay of the Derrick J, I'm from Galway to Dolan Town. No mate I've seen like a brown collie.